Welcome back to What You Will Learn. My name is Adam Ashton. And my name is Adam Jones. Today, we are talking about Meditations by Marcus Aurelius. This book is almost 2,000 years old. It was written by Marcus Aurelius, who was the emperor of Rome, who was effectively the most powerful person in the world uh, from about 169 to 179 AD is when most of these writings took place. And what this book is, it's almost like a bit of a diary to himself. The things that he was telling himself, the things that he was thinking at the time when he was almost basically the leader of the world at the time. He wasn't the natural successor to become emperor in someone's bloodline. It was a little bit of luck, you could say. So when Antonius died, who was the emperor, he chose Marcus as his sole successor. So, you know, part of that was because Marcus was such an effective person and, you know, this really does come across throughout this book, which has has stood the test of time. So, it was relevant almost 2,000 years ago and every single passage is really relevant to every single person who's alive today. And we're lucky because this book was in obscurity for a while. It's kind of like dangling by a knife edge where no one really had this book. And then luckily in 1453, the Turks took down Constantinople and it really made the Greek scholars pull out all of these ancient texts and start to run back through them. And then it was actually in 1559, it was first printed in edition. And since then, it's really stood the test of time and um, kind of really having a resurgence now in its relevance. Obviously, he never wrote this book to be a book that's read by everyone. It was really just his diaries, his thoughts to himself about what was going on because what he found was that uh, some lessons and some writings from another old dude named Epictetus who was actually a slave and he found that the... In the abstract, the types of struggles, the types of challenges, the types of ideas that he was having and the, the things that he was facing as a slave were really, really not too dissimilar from the types of struggles and, and internal battles that Marcus was having as the emperor. And so, what they've sort of found was through this idea of stoicism, this philosophy or this operating system of, of how to be in the world is really applicable to everyone at all walks of life. And of course, you know, 2,000 years ago, very similar to today. Our struggles, our challenges, our thoughts, our actions are all really very similar if you think about it. Yeah, stoicism, the whole philosophy takes on the big questions that really in our culture, we never, I feel like we don't ask a lot as as big as these questions might be. Things like why are we here, how should we live our lives and how to protect and fortify yourself against stresses and all the pressures that you're going to cop in your daily life. So, what this book is when you're reading it, it's divided up into 12 different books and each one of those has between 40 and 60 sort of lines or paragraphs just of sort of thoughts or messages to himself or things that he was thinking about at the time and uh, it's I found it really interesting to read and what we've sort of done is pull them all apart and put them back together into different categories and just as by way of introduction, a couple of the passages that really give us a broad overview of Stoicism as a philosophy uh, encapsulated into just a couple of these paragraphs. So, one of the things that he that he's written here, discard your misperceptions, stop being jerked around like a puppet, limit yourself to the present, understand what happens to you and to others, analyze what exists, break it all down, anticipate your final hours, and what about other people's mistakes? Leave them to their makers. And another passage that covers another big part of Stoicism on how to act. Never under compulsion, out of selfishness, without forethought, with misgivings. Never gussy up your words. Don't have surplus words and unnecessary actions. Be cheerful without requiring other people's help or serenity supplied by others. 
and stand up straight, not straightened. Mate, that, that one comes up a few times. I still don't get it. You don't get it? I like that. Oh, that was one of my favorites, straight, not straightened. To me, I could be just completely uh, making this yeah, up. I just got it. <laughs> yeah, for me, it's like, you know, you're choosing, you're acting by yourself to stand up straight rather than somebody else straightening you. Yes. Is that what you thought? Yeah, no, it kind of popped in my brain yeah. as, uh, as you said that. I like it. So, just from those two things, what as a bit of an overview of all the things that we're going to talk about is some of the basics of stoicism, the importance of self-reliance and taking personal responsibility and really what it boils down to is determining what is inside your control and focus only on those actions and the things that are outside of your control, you need to be accepting of it and not try to change them. I think that's really what uh, stoicism boils down to. So, we've categorized a lot of the the gold from this book and uh, the first bit of the first category we're going to lean into is on living. So, all about finding purpose and meaning in, in our lives. As we talk about these, we're going to draw on some of the passages from the text. And one of the ones he talks about is you need to practice the virtues that you can show. Things like honesty, gravity, endurance, austerity, resignation, abstinence, patience, sincerity, moderation, seriousness, high-mindedness. You've got to realize that all of these things are within you and they are within your control. You've got to realize that you have so much more to offer beyond just excuses. And Marcus says that himself, he found himself settling for less. He thought that he had to do all these grand things that, you know, change the world, but really he can focus on these things that are within inside him and within his own control. And on the days when you're really struggling to get out of the bed, remember that defining characteristic. The thing that makes us a human being is that we need to work with others. It's normal to, to wake up and you feel the pain in your hands and your feet if you're using your feet as feet, as your hands as hands, and for a human being to feel stress is normal. So, you know, if part of your work, you're getting slapped up and you're going through stress, this is just a normal thing and it's actually unnatural to not just to stay in bed all day and avoid all these all these stresses. You need to go out and uh, accept them as, as just part of your, your daily life. My guess is this is one of his reactions to some dude in the street that was uh, trying to be really a really good wrestler. He says, "What well, a better wrestler, why not aim to be a better citizen, a better person, a better resource in tight places, a better forgiver of faults? I think Marx is saying that we've all sort of got these wrong goals. We're aiming for the wrong things. We're aiming for, you know, to be the better wrestler, to be uh, lauded by society as this awesome dude who everyone respects and he's so good at what he does. Uh from an external validation point of view as opposed to focusing on being a better person, being a better citizen uh, and helping others out in more places. Yeah, a modern example might be someone who's you know working extremely hard and they've got the, these huge goals to become the CEO of their company without really looking at what their company is doing. Their company might be you know creating net negative to the entire community and the world. You know, it might be a, I don't know, like ExxonMobil or an oil company or something like that. So, you know... So, in that sense, you know, a better wrestler, you know, that person's not being a better citizen. So, some goals are more important to the well-being of the community than others. In line with these ideas of these sort of goals that we're working towards, you know, maybe, you know, we're working towards being the CEO rather than working towards being a, a better person or a better resource or a better helper is the idea of the need to live in the present in that the present is all we have. We can't be caught up in things of the past. We can't be caught up in dreaming about the future. He says that the present is the same for everyone. Its loss is the same for everyone. You know, you can't lose the past or the future. The only thing we have 
is the present. And that's a big thing about society today. I think we're always either reliving the highlight reel of the past or we're too busy planning for the future that we neglect the present and the things that we can control in this moment. Yeah, that's a really interesting one. The only thing we own in life is the present. Like, for example, you might think you own your car out there, but really the only thing you own is when you're in that car and the feeling that you get from inside it. So, you know, if... If what you own is only the present, it's really your perceptions walked around the present is really that makes up the uh, the whole substance of, of what your life is. No, I like this. He says that you could be good today, but instead you choose tomorrow. A lot of these he is talking to himself. A lot of these maybe, you know, he might be commenting on things around him, but he's probably thinking, you know, look, you can be good today. Why are you so caught up in tomorrow? You know, big old Marcus, why are you caught up in expanding the empire? Why are you caught up in trying to win the war against the neighboring factions? All you could do is you could be good today. You could provide something for someone. You could help out a neighbor. You could do something good for the community, but instead he's caught up in what he's, what, what's he going to do tomorrow? Another important way of of how to live is really accepting that the lack of control that we have of human beings of external events. He says that stupidity is expecting figs in winter or children in old age. So there really is just some limitations on what the world can give you and it's really unwise and impossible to really put these expectations on the earth because when you inevitably don't get these things, then it's just going to only contribute negatively to your well-being. Yeah, he says it's it's crazy to want what is impossible, but it's impossible for the unwise not to do so. So the he's saying that unwise people they're always expecting or always hoping for the impossible. And I think this is I was listening to a, a Ryan Holiday interview talking all about stoicism and philosophy, and he was saying that the really the core of this is to work out what is in your control and what is outside of your control. And obviously, you know, expecting figs in winter. You've got no control over that. Well, I didn't know that before. I guess figs only grow in summer. But obviously, back in the in the Roman times, you can't be expecting figs in winter. That's completely outside of your control. And then the issue with that is if you're tying your happiness or your satisfaction or your well-being to getting figs in winter, to getting something that's outside of your control, you're setting yourself up for failure. Yeah, I love it. And as a bridge into the, the next one, choosing not to be harmed. So, you know, if the figs don't come and the fig comes down at drops on your head and knocks you out. <laughs> I guess that doesn't work. <laughs> but if the, the, the fig falls on your head and there's a bit of pain, really, we've always got the choice not to be harmed. Seven Habits of Highly Effective People says that there's a gap between stimulus and response. So there's the thing that happens which we can't control. The only thing we can control is how we respond to that. So he's saying that we can choose not to be harmed. He says... Choose not to be harmed and you won't feel harmed. Don't feel harmed and then you haven't been. So he's saying that you know we, can, we do have this choice as to how we react. Whilst there are going to be things outside of our control that we can't influence the outcome of, the thing that we can influence is our own reaction to those inevitable events. I think a good barometer to you know everyone's ability to, to be choosing not to be harmed is how well you deal with road rage. Mm-hmm. There's something that everyone has to deal with, and I think just this morning when I was getting a coffee, there was someone who just you know pulled out, did something very minor, and the person behind him just <laughs> just like horn, you know, early Sunday morning, just completely unnecessary. But that one person with this tiny. Uh, tiny event that happened in his life, he's probably going to go away from that tiny incident, be completely affected for a lot of the rest, a lot of the rest of the day. Um, you know, me personally, I've, this is probably the best example of 
being stoic that I've probably got in my life is whenever <laughs> I get people getting that because I'm a pretty shit driver and when I fuck something up and a driver gets angry at me, I'll always just like pull the window down, put the music blazing and just start singing along <laughs> to a song and they're, they're screaming in anger and I'm just like smiling and, and you know, it's not a care in the world and, um, you know, it pisses, it pisses them off even more. Is that stoicism? Pissing other people off? <laughs> I think that's an interesting interpretation of it. But it's I'm not being affected and, <laughs> and, and uh, turning up the volume on how someone else is affected. That's, I have uh, I have seen, uh, been with you in the past where you get tooted and you're just like, yeah, woo! <laughs> it's like celebrating when someone toots you. But, mate, you've got to realize that it ties into something later. What affects the bee affects the hive and what affects the hive affects the bee. So, uh, mate, you're doing, someone, uh, um, <laughs> you're doing someone else a disservice and you're in turn hurting yourself. But yeah. All right, that'll come. Anyway, yeah, anyway. <laughs> but it's it's not not the worst way to do it. So as we said, the the big one of the absolute core tenets of Stoic philosophy is you know differentiating between what you can control and what you can't control. And so we're going to dive into the elements of what we can control now. And so this is all about sort of self reliance and a bit of personal responsibility. So once we've differentiated between what we can and can't control, let's hone in on what we can control. These are the things that we can control, and you know, as a as a good strategy, focus only on these things. And as a bit of a foundation, he says that he talks about the importance of character and morals. So when it comes down to character and morals, you have full control. You know, and some people see fortune as w- literally like a you know like getting really lucky and winning something. But what Marcus says, good fortune is really good character, good intentions, and good actions. He doesn't care about the things that are in the uncertain land. Good fortune is all about the things you can control. One of the real key things within our control that he talks about a lot, it comes a lot, is the ideas of selflessness, the ideas of generosity, and the ideas of doing the right thing. The idea of the right thing comes up a lot. And obviously, someone with good character, good morals, a core component of that is doing the right thing. One of the things he says is that we need to move from one unselfish act to another. He says that only there lies delight and stillness. So as one of the really core bits of Marx's character, he finds is generosity and unselfish acts. Yeah, being unselfish is, is a big one. And with that, you need to take the shortest route, the one the nature plan to speak and act in the healthiest way. So, you know, you mix that with being unselfish. It ties back into that idea of Dare to Lead uh, by Brené Brown where she talks about being clear is kind, unclear is unkind. So, if you're taking the shortest routes and being the shortest route, it's sometimes the most uncomfortable and most difficult psychologically and being selfless as well. You know, you need to be straight with people and be blunt even if it's some short-term, you know, pain and uncomfortable for the, the two of you in that interaction. So that's with dealing with people, but I think taking the shortest routes as well means, you know, every day you go into work, you've got the option to, as uh, Brian Tracy would say, eat the frog, whatever that most uncomfortable action that you can take for the day. Usually that would be the shortest route to the most productive day. You can fazzle around doing busy shit all for the rest of the day for 10 hours and um, be comfortable of all that. Mm. But taking the shortest route is that choice that we get to do every day we go to work. Mm, Yeah, I like that, doing that most important thing. Uh, Marcus says that nothing is good except what leads to fairness and self-control and courage and free will. 
and nothing is bad except what leads to the opposite. So if you're hitting the desk in the morning and if you're, you know, things like the self-control, the courage, the free will, they're vitally important for you to tackle the most important things takes, it's probably going to take a lot of courage. It's definitely going to take a lot of self-control, not to get caught up in the busyness, not to get caught up in the distractions and instead take that self-control and that courage and do what's truly important. So we need to have character and morals. We need to take the shortest route and we need to be generous. We need to do the right thing. And then the other thing we need to do is we need to take ownership and responsibility. Yeah, there's a hell of a lot of ideas around this ownership, this responsibility. Marcus says you need to uh, stop talking about what a good man is like and just be one. And that's true. We do have the uh, responsibility. We have the ability to respond. We have the ability to take ownership. We have the ability to really take that self-control and do what is important rather than just talking about it, thinking about it, philosophizing over it. Is that a word? Yeah, that's a word. <laughs> Philosophizing over it and just, just fucking do it. Yeah. <laughs> I like how he says, the existence of evil does not harm the world and an individual act of evil does not harm the victim. Only one person is harmed by it and he can stop being harmed as soon as he decides to. Mm. So, this, this really takes ownership and responsibility to another level. If someone does something bad to you, you can really fall victim to whatever the circumstances are put on onto you from someone else's actions. Or if you're someone who takes complete ownership and responsibility, you're taking ownership for your reaction to the external events. Mm. So when you take full ownership and responsibility, you can actually eliminate evil from the world because evil relies on the other person being a victim and the perpetrator from it. So that's pretty pretty wild stuff. Mm. And if you think back to Man's Search for Meaning, Viktor Frankl, he was someone who's got every reason to be a victim to what he was copying in the Nazi concentration camps. It was absolutely awful. But again, he's someone who took some kind of responsibility for his reaction to what these events were. It's very big to realize that it's only evil or there's only a victim if you see yourself as a victim. If you choose not to be harmed, then you haven't been. I like what he says about you need to focus on what is said when you speak and on what the results from each action. So, you need to know what the aim is and know what the other one means. So, I like how he talks about here about, you know, you need to focus on what you're saying first and foremost and you've got to be very cognizant of what the result of what you're saying is. So, you've got to be very cautious. You can't control how other people react but you can control what you say. But by you working out how do people respond to certain things that you say or do means that you can better control uh, the way that you've frame things, the way that you say things or the way that you do things. I think that's vitally important to, you know, sort of like the laws of human nature to analyze yourself and your own behavior first and realize how that impacts upon other people. So, we need to take ownership and responsibility circumstances, but we also need to take initiative in everything we do. And, you know, this is another one that could just be tied into your, into your, into your career. This is probably, this is one of my, I feel like I've been saying this a lot. This is one I really like, but I like them all. He says here that ambition means tying your well-being to what other people say or do. Self-indulgence means tying it to the things that happen to you, but sanity means tying it to your own actions. And I think that really encapsulates these ideas of responsibility and initiative. Ambition is all about what other people say or do. Self-indulgence is what happens to you, but the only true thing is this sanity, you know, tying it to your own actions. That's where the true uh, responsibility, that true initiative comes from. If you think that you're going to submit a project 
and because of you doing this awesome project, your boss is going to pat you on the back. You're going to get a pay rise. You're going to get a promotion. You're going to be seen as the, the new hero of the company. That's in line of this ambition and self-indulgence. You're tying your happiness or your well-being to the results as opposed to the sanity, which is tying it to your own actions, doing the best thing that you can possibly do. And paradoxically, he doesn't um, say ambition is bad, quite the opposite. He says, not to assume the things that you can strive for are impossible because you find it hard, but to recognize that if it's humanly possible, then you can do it too. Like all the humans on the world, we've got, we're really built with the same operating system together. Like if you really think about it, whoever your hero might be, you know, it might be Elon Musk for some people, it might be Sheryl Sandberg for whoever it might be, the difference between you and that person really is just a shift in the brain and how you deal with the outside world, right? They've got the, the same evolutionary evolution, built the same hardware as, as it did for you, as it did for them. One big shift, like you say, that you know we're, we're all built the same. We've all got uh, similar opportunities. Obviously, everyone doesn't have the exact same opportunities. But one big shift is to view yourself as a boxer and not as a fencer. So the fencer, the fencer needs to pick up his weapon. The fencer needs to have that sword uh, in order to take on the battle. Whereas the boxer, all the boxer needs to do is clench his fists. So if you think of that as a way of going through life, if you view yourself as the fencer, if you think that you need tools, whether that's uh, you know certain hardware or software, whether that's other people, whether that's the right team, whether that's the right opportunities, these are all excuses that you can find. If you're a fencer, you need your sword, whatever that may be. But if you view yourself as the boxer, then the only things you need are already within yourself. All you need to do is clench your fists and you're ready to fight. So that's a huge theme in the book is to really you know, focus on the things that you can control and opt- optimize that as, as much as possible. But then again, there are things that are outside our control and the things we need to do with that, we also need to just accept the things that are just outside our control. Um, straight away, this something came to mind. Like last week, I went to a float tank in Sydney, and you know, the person asked me, "Do you want music to start your float? You know, you've done a float before. How there's a bit of music to kick you off?" And I said, "Yeah, that'd be good." And then, you know, it's usually for about five minutes, but I was just lying down there, and you're meant to be in, in total tranquility and calmness. And then five minutes passed. It seemed like, and it was still going. And then fifteen minutes, the music was still going. And I couldn't really just clear the brain at all. And when I was trying to just, like you're saying here, just accept the music as part of the experience and just relax, I was, I was, <laughs> I was getting, getting so worked up and stressed. So this was a, a two out of 10 in terms of my stoicism here. And I ended up just getting out of the pod 20 minutes in oh, no. and yelled out from, the, from the, where the pod room was. He goes, hey, turn the music off. <laughs> so oh, that was man, a complete... <laughs> That's a complete stoic fail, but it's an example, you know, if you were a stoic, if this external thing is happening, like the music, you could just sit there and in your brain just accept what's out there and, you know, and just, <laughs> and not be so wound up by external events. <laughs> that's a, man, that's such a funny story. Man, so they asked, did you want music? And you said yes, and you assumed it was a intro music. Well, he said, he said he's just going to put it on for five minutes uh, and then it was 15, 20 more. Now, was it actually 15 or did you... No, just, it was, like, yeah, it was full 15. Oh, it was just no. cake. I knew it was over and he forgot to turn it off. And oh, yeah, he, yeah that's, that's poor by him. Yeah, very poor. Yeah. Anyway. Your response is also pretty poor. <laughs> and the best part that was uh, in terms of injuring, I injured a bit more of the hive again. Oh, so I was yelling out and you there's probably, um, well, there's, there's at least 10 people... <laughs> 
you know, around in their booth and they would have heard me just yelling out, tearing the fuck. (laughs) I didn't swear, but. Mate, you've destroyed everyone's tranquility and float. Yeah. Oh, that's so funny. (laughs) Uh, Just to, uh, as a very hard cut from that, uh, one of the biggest things that he, he dwells on a lot, and it's one of those things that's outside of our control that we really need to be accepting of, is death. So, it's, it's just inevitable. Death is inev- inevitable. We're impermanent beings. We can't live forever. So, one alternative is to stress about it and worry about it all the time. But of course, the stoic way is to just accept it as a reality. It is something that we don't really speak about or talk about in popular culture. We kind of just like, you know, let our old people go to retirement homes and just slowly die and just hide away from death as much as we can. Mm. Obviously, it's a huge part of stoicism. It's a huge part of Buddhism. It's understanding the impermanence that we have on earth because there is a lot more upside than the you know the uncomfortable feeling that you get from just understanding there's a time limit ticking on your life and one day you're going to be gone keep this constantly in mind that all sorts of people have died all professions all nationalities don't forget how many doctors have died after following their brows over many deathbeds trying to cure patients how many astrologers after pompous forecasts about others' ends, have died themselves. How many philosophers, after endless disquisitions on death and immortality? How many warriors, after killing thousands of casualties themselves, have died in battle? All of these things, you've got to realize that there are all these people around us who have died, uh, and you're just one of them as well. Yeah, and if you're sitting right now and you think you can be 10 out of 10 stoic and just contemplate your own death... Another level is just understanding the death of others. And he says, as you kiss your son goodnight tonight, whisper to yourself, he may be dead in the morning. So, you need to accept the impermanence of the people you love as well. And I think that's a little bit more hard to, that is, to, to consider, isn't it? That is a tough one. I, I tried it with my dog the other day. Just Charlie? Thought, I thought, oh, Charlie could be dead in the morning. Mate, it's a pretty depressing thought. You'd be cactus if Charlie was dead. <laughs> I'd be done. You'd be, the podcast would be over. <laughs> Mate, I, I need to really build up my stoicism there. Uh, but so that's obviously like you've got to be accepting of it is sort of phase one and as you talked about you know it's not just yourself it's other people as well sort of a different phase is being indifferent indifferent is sort of a word that it's almost got a negative connotation today if you're indifferent it seems like you're uh, you don't have sort of ambition or effort like indifferent but indifferent in stoic philosophy is really a good thing you know it's a realize that whatever happens you're indifferent to it you're not positively affected by good things you're not negatively affected by bad things you're just indifferent to whatever happens and so this indifference to death is really one of the sort of the goals of stoicism and then understanding death has a really big upside because it can be a huge motivational force i mean if you know that your time is ticking and there are some things that deep down that you know you should be doing or you know you should be spending your time doing this and you aren't miserable at your work using death as a motivational force it might be the driver to end that relationship that you know is negative or that job that you know is not right for you because we need to be in a hurry not just because we move daily closer to death but also because our understanding our grasp of the world Mm. may be gone before we get there so if you're not going to die um, you know, just as scary might be an understanding that there's going to be a day when your old age, like your great-grandfather or your great-grandmother has Alzheimer's, you might be that person who just loses complete grasp of the reality and understanding. Yeah, it, is, it can be this motivational force. Once you, rather than just uh, ignoring it or trying not to think about it because it's too tough to think about, if you realize that either death is coming or some kind of, you know, mental or physical disability where you can't actually take action anymore... You need to, as he says, you need to be in a hurry. 
He even says, like, think of yourself now as dead. You've lived your life, it's over. Now, take whatever's, whatever's left and live it properly. So, that's one thing he, he talks about, like a lamp. It shines until it gets put out. But unfortunately, some humans sort of put their own lamp out. They stop shining earlier than they could be. So, he's saying we really need to, you know, use this idea of death as our lamp being shut out as a motivating force to keep us moving in the right direction. It's like another Stoic book we've uh, reviewed was A Guide to the Good Life where the author talks about negative visualization. So, when you visualize something bad happening like your own death and your someone you love dying and then you go back into life and you know you're actually living and the person you love is still alive as well, the only feeling you get from that is gratitude because you're not taking some of the things that are out there for granted and, you know, there's no, no bigger gift than we've got than actual, uh, you know, living and breathing right now. So, you know, death and impermanence and being accepting of all these things is a really important part of, you know, things that are outside of our control that we need to accept. Another big one is change. So, there's a lot of change that goes on that we really can't control. It's outside of our sphere of influence. So, we ultimately just have to be accepting of it. He says, before long, nature, which controls it all, will alter everything you see and use it as material for something else over and over again so that the world is continually renewed. So, death is a bit of a pain of the ass, but you know, if it wasn't for all those species before us who died, the, the death of previous things you know, sowed the seeds for something evolving in the better direction. He says that change is constant and all around us, both in terms of change in the world. Like he says, grapes are unripe, then ripened, then raisin. Like they're constantly changing, they're constantly evolving. And we've got to realize it comes back to that idea of indifference. Like there's nothing bad happening when you undergo change, but you've got to realize that there's nothing good emerging from it either. It's just what is. You need to be indifferent. You can't assign a positive or negative value to change. you just got to realize that this is what happens and be accepting of it and be indifferent towards it. So, accepting change of external events is a big thing, but we need to also accept change within your own head. You're going to grow, you're going to change as a person. To some people, change can be really scary, but this is a good thing because as you change, you're evolving into something new and something better. He says you need to throw out your misperceptions and you'll be fine and ask yourself, who's stopping you from throwing them out? You're really the only one that is stopping yourself from throwing out your misperceptions and changing your own mind. Marcus says, if anyone can refute me, show me I'm making a mistake or looking at things from the wrong perspective, I'll gladly change. It's the truth I'm after and the truth never harmed anyone. So, he's saying that you know we can't be so stuck in our own minds. We can't be too clung too tightly to our own opinions or our own misperceptions. We've got to be seekers of the truth and be open to the idea that if someone shows you a different answer, a different way of doing things, you've, you've got to weigh that up and think, is this the truth? It's not going to hurt you to change your mind. It can only benefit you. So, as the world is changing and changing and changing, sooner or later, the things that you realize as or you value is the most important thing right now, at some stage, it's going to be forgotten and it's not going to be important at all. And this is why humility is really important. Yeah, we really need this sense of humility that whilst we are focusing on the things inside of our control, whilst we're focusing on taking responsibility and taking initiative and being proactive, we've got to bring with that a sense of humility. So, we've got to realize that you know, we're, close to forget- we're close to forgetting it all and we're close to being forgotten. You know, he says that 
There are so many people who used to be remembered, but they've already been forgotten. And even the people who remembered those have been forgotten as well. Yeah, yeah I remember in uh, Homer Deus, Yuval spoke about some of the, the, the soldiers who went on the crusade, right? So they were literally risking their life for this idea of, you know, rescuing the, the Holy Land and all this kind of, these kind of things. And whole towns and communities were really throwing up all these people to go out and die for this cause. And then only just a few centuries later, everyone forgot about what the Crusades was all about. <laughs> yes. So, you get to think, you know, the thing that you see as the most important thing right now, eventually, it could just turn out to be a crock of shit in the <laughs> long run. So, so understanding this really just is a tool for humility. Yeah, you've got to give yourself a real dose of humility. And what uh, Marcus says here, you've got to remember, matter, how tiny your share of it, how little you matter. Time, how brief and fleeting your allotment of it is, and fate, how small a role that you play in it. He says that this is one to really give you a dose of humility. Soon you'll be ashes or bones, a mere name at most, and even that is just a sound and echo. He says that the things that we want in life are empty and stale and trivial. So <laughs> it's a fair whack of like you got to realize that you're pretty useless in the grand scheme of things. And it's pretty morbid, isn't it? Yeah, but it is. It is very useful. You know, some in the in the nights that you can't get to sleep because you're so stressed about something tomorrow or the next week or anything like that. If you think about this in the grand scheme of things, it's you know, it's it's almost certainly mm. not a big deal at all. Very very trivial. So just to to place where we are so far, really the biggest part of Stoic philosophy is differentiating between what we can control and what is outside of our control. So, of course, we talked about the things within our control. Obviously, we want to maximize those and only focus on those things because the only real good strategy in life is to focus on what you can control. And then, of course, the things that are outside of your control, we need to be accepting of those things. We can't let them impact upon us. We can't let them worry us. We can't let them affect us. We just need to be accepting of what is. And then the final perennial section of advice that it really covers in the book It's all about community and relationships. The first thing he says is don't try to change others. It's really really silly to escape other people's faults. They are inescapable. Just escape your own. I think this is a trap a a lot of people fall into. You know, when when you start trying to improve your own life and you improve your own faults and then you see someone else who's dealing with the same fault that you've already dealt with and really moved past, uh, you just feel like just, just... yelling at them, go, come on, just get over that fault or whatever mm. reason. And then over time, you, you do land on the understanding that, that other people's faults are just their own and you can't pull some people out of their own misery. It really comes back down to their own choice. Some people just choose to be miserable and don't, and don't try and help themselves. Yeah, it is obviously tempting. You want to help other people and that's, again, part of the selflessness and generosity is that you do want to help other people but that's only up to a certain point. You can't force someone to do anything. You can't force someone to change. Uh, sometimes that is just outside of your control and it's something that you need to accept. Like he says, ignoring what goes on in other people's souls, no one ever came to grief that way. But if you keep track of what your own soul is doing, how can you not be happy? So that's sort of like what he's saying. You've got to leave other people's mistakes where they lie. You can't try to fix everything. As much as you care about a person, you can't do it for them. If they've made decisions then sometimes that's, you know, you just got to leave it where they lie. And we can't help them, but at the same time, we can't judge them either. They're human beings just like yourself 
and you know it's probably hard to see but all of us have got different flaws in different ways and you know other people out there are trying to pull us out of our mm. flaws that we might have but you know again we're, we're just choosing to be the same so you can't change them and you can't judge them yeah and as long as you know we can't judge other people it's important not to get sucked into being judged by other people as well you know everybody's got their own opinion everybody's probably got thoughts about you and what you're thinking and what you're doing and you can't let their opinions impact upon you this is it never ceases to amaze and we all love ourselves more than other people but we all care about other people's opinion more than our own it says you got to realize that if you got inside someone else's mind you got to realize that the people that are judging you are actually judging themselves 10 times more. If you were to really assess that person's views and opinions and think of what they thought about themselves, you're probably not going to let that affect you as much. So the advice and the opinions of a lot of other people should really be meaningless and we shouldn't care so much about the opinion of others and let that steer our ship. If you know internally and you're living through the principles that we've already been talking about in this book, really that's all it should come down to and what other people think doesn't mean anything. And it goes for like not being affected by other people judging you negatively. It also is like not expecting any kind of praise or external validation at the same way. Like you need to work and do things as a reward of their own. Like he says, like we're expecting praise from people who kick themselves every 15 minutes. You know, they're judging themselves. Why are they possibly going to praise you for what you do? And by the same token, he says that beautiful things of any kind are beautiful in themselves and sufficient to themselves. If you do something good, then you've already done what you need to do. By expecting a praise or expecting a pat on the back for doing something good, you're setting yourself up for failure. You've already done what you need to do. So, stop waiting for the external validation of other people. If you really think about it, if praise, someone praising your work, it actually doesn't add anything if you look at it objectively. So, there is really no reason to be so desperate for it because all it does is just give you a little endorphin boost and nothing mm. else. Now, one bit I think was, it was pretty funny, which sort of ties a couple of these things together. He says that that sort of person is bound to do that. You may as well resent a fig tree for secreting juice and then in brackets, Anyway, before long, you'll both be dead, dead and soon forgotten. <laughs> so, so, this is when he was really going through this time of like, fuck it, we're all going to die anyway, so yeah. why do I care what that person well, thinks? There's a lot of that in the book. It'll just be you know, something, 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 but fuck it, you're going to be dead anyway. <laughs> Too funny. So, as a recap, Meditations, it's, it really is an incredible book that's lasted a very, very long time and it does get to the core of human nature just because the relevance of it, you know, every single line in the book is relevant in 200 AD and it is relevant now and I'm sure it's going to be relevant for the rest of human history. This is probably, this is at the moment, one of the, my favorite books I've read all year. I read it while I was lying on the, the beach or by the pool in Thailand and I thought this is some pretty, some pretty big shit. Some of the stuff that we talked about is really how it boils down to differentiating between what you can control and what you can't control. So focus on the things that you can control, take ownership, take responsibility, be proactive, take initiative, choose your reactions and have you know this strong sense of character and morals and at the same time, accept the things that you can't control. Be humble, realize that death is inevitable, realize that other people are caught up in their own world. You shouldn't be trying to fix them or change their opinions and ultimately, the world does what it does. You, you don't have any control over fate, so you've just got to accept whatever comes along. 